0: Father, open your word to us, open the words of Jesus to us. And Lord, as we read about your spirit, we pray that you would be blessing us with the presence of your spirit and the teaching ministry of your spirit and the convicting of sin and righteousness ministry of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in John uh, 13 and 14, a series that I've titled Meekness and Majesty when you get to John 13 the signs Jesus signs in John's gospel his miracles are finished and Jesus now prepares in the sense himself but particularly his disciples for what is coming which is the cross and the resurrection which is his glory he says and though he is their teacher and their Lord Jesus loves his disciples to the very end he puts himself in the very lowest places and while he's having a meal with them and he is kind of the center of the meal he actually says no i'm going to wash your feet which is the job for the lowest servant so we start this whole new section of john's gospel with absolute meekness it's a foretaste of what jesus will do on the cross as he cleanses his disciples from their sins In fact, in chapter 13, Jesus instructs his disciples, verse 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now Judas is at the table, but he's already set his heart to betray Jesus and He leaves, and no one's quite sure what's happening, but Jesus knows. And after Judas leaves, Jesus says to his remaining disciples, in verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus remains in total control, but his meekness, his servant-heartedness is to the fore. But as he continues to instruct his disciples around that meal, his majesty or his statements of majesty take a more prominent place. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. Or you believe in God, believe also in me. Oh. In verse 6, he says to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the only way to God. I'm the only truth, the only life. Then he says, just a little while later, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, do you not know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Just look at me. They're remarkable statements of majesty. If you want to see a vision of God, look at me. We looked at that last week. And then he says these incredible words. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Greater things than Jesus has done? I was saying last week, I believe that is, we do greater things as followers of Jesus as the work of God's kingdom expands not from just where Jesus in his body is, but expands through the whole world, through the body of Christ, the church. But really, you think greater things through us, God's kingdom work through us. We who were enemies of God, who were alienated from God. We who so often forget God and neglect God and disobey God. We who are feeble and frail and bumbling and stumbling and proud and selfish and distracted. We who want to be God all the time will do greater things than the Son of God. Sometimes it's enough just to get the washing off the line or to mow the lawn. Sometimes that's enough for the day. Look at us as a church. Sometimes it's just enough if we, were, if we hope and we pray that people might attend Creating Safe Spaces training. Sometimes we say, Hallelujah, that's enough. We'll do greater things than Jesus. When we're struggling to get people to do safe church training? Yes, says Jesus. Greater things, and he promises transforming power to do these greater things. And I think there's three essentials just from this small bit of teaching that follows. And it's it's only a small section. Power to change. See, the disciples need power. Because it's Jesus that has been doing the great things. He's the miracle worker. He's the one who teaches with authority and power. He's the one that people are coming to. He's causing a stir. He walks into Jerusalem. People say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But now he is in this room with his disciples. And he's saying, my time has come. He says, I'm going away to the Father. Up to this point, Jesus has always been there. He's been alongside. But if Jesus goes, well, then the power will go. No, says Jesus, not so quick. He makes a promise, verse 17. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you what a promise Jesus who is the truth now promises to give to his disciples the spirit of truth and he uses personal language there will be another advocate another one who comes alongside as Jesus was with his disciples to strengthen and help them, so now the Spirit of truth will come to be with his disciples to strengthen and help them. He will gift this, give this gift of the Spirit to all who trust him, to all who believe on his name. You see, when someone becomes a Christian, it's kind of like, okay, I've changed my allegiance maybe, I'm now in this religious group. No, that's not the language we we use. We use language usually of spiritual change, of remarkable change. We talk about someone, it's, it's Bible language, we talk about being born again, new life, of being saved, once lost, now saved, rescued. We say you've become a follower of Jesus, a disciple. We Sometimes an older expression, We've I've accepted Jesus into my heart. You won't find that one in the Bible, but it's not necessarily a bad phrase. I've accepted Jesus into my heart. There has been a radical spiritual change, all of which express the promise of Jesus here, that God's Spirit will come. See, as we trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are given new life as the very person of God by His Spirit comes and dwells within us. We have God life in us, with us, personal God life through the Holy Spirit. In the person of God's Holy Spirit, because it's personal language, not abstract. And so to be without God's Holy Spirit in us is actually to be without Jesus in our heart. It's to be cut off from relationship with God the Father. To be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God dwelling in us, with us. Now that is power when the God of creation comes to be with us personally. And the Holy Spirit comes to do the, help us do the works. He comes alongside to strengthen and help us to do the works which God would have us do. To convict us of sin and then lead us in righteousness so that we might do greater things. Before Jesus raised back to be with his Father in heaven, he spoke to his disciples and he reiterated, To this promise he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, here's the world change, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world because my spirit is coming. Greater things through the body of Christ the church by the power of God's Spirit. Greater power for greater things. So head up, Christian. You who sometimes feels marginalized or put down. You have Christ in you. The hope of glory by His Spirit. And He has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You have power. The power of God Himself to continue the work that God has put before you that unique calling that God, the maker of the universe, has for you. You have the power by the Spirit of God to do those good works. And as we are invaded, it's an invasion, it's a taking over of enemy territory, as we are invaded by God's Spirit, so we are invaded and filled with resurrection power. Jesus makes this promise. Resurrection power. Jesus makes this promise. He says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me. I'm going. But you will see me. Because I live... You also will live. I think the resurrection's in view there. Jesus is going. They're not going to see him anymore, those who oppose him, but you, my disciples, will see me. And because I live, you will live. Jesus has promised to impart his resurrection life to all those who follow him. So it's the same spirit-empowered life that led to his resurrection from the dead. When Paul writes to the church in Rome, in his introduction, he speaks about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and he speaks about Jesus, who, this Jesus Christ, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There's resurrection power through the Spirit. And we who trust in Jesus, we who are with Christ, who unite ourselves with him by faith, share in that same resurrection life. So that it could be said of us that through the Spirit of holiness... We are declared with power to be the children of God by the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ our Lord. As he is alive, so we live. Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit life, which is a down payment of our resurrection and our life. In Ephesians chapter 1, speaking to Christians, and you, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. When you believed and heard, you were in Christ. That is, when you believed the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit in us, guaranteeing our inheritance, our resurrection to new life, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, for while we're in this tent, all these tents I'm seeing, while we're in this tent, we groan, and yes, we're burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, our resurrection body, so that what is mortal, what's failing, may be swallowed up By life, and then Paul says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this resurrection life, for this very purpose, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Jesus promises resurrection power to all who will trust in Him. A life that will not end with physical death. And so we have an assurance. We share in the full life that only God can give. John writes, or Jesus says, On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you as you share in this resurrection hope. The very life of God within us. It's no wonder the Apostle Peter, when he writes to churches in what today we call Turkey, he starts his letter saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth, that is, spirit-filled life, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is great power when you have living hope. You know, the New York, New York Marathon is being run today. That is a physical challenge. Probably most of us couldn't run a marathon. We would physically just not be able to keep going. But I don't think anybody can really run a marathon. We're not designed to run 42 kilometers. What, what is it that keeps people going when you're 25 kilometers in and you're completely and utterly spent? What keeps you going is the hope. And when you've got to 40 kilometers and you think, I've spent more than could possibly be spent. I was spent 10 kilometers ago. I was spent 40 minutes ago. What keeps you going? Hope. There's only two kilometers left. I am going to run a marathon. I am going to be able to say that I have run a marathon. For a lot of those runners, the only thing they have going for them is their hope of the end and purpose fulfilled see hope is a powerful powerful thing it helps people run 42 kilometers which we're not designed to run when we have living hope through the resurrection of Jesus we have power to keep on keeping on through the tough times We have strength and purpose because we're working towards a greater end. We're working to see God's glory revealed in the good works Christ has set out for us. And so we press on towards the goal. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I want to know Christ. He's in prison. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know what it's like to participate even in his sufferings, even becoming like him in death. And so somehow... Attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He goes on. Not that I've already obtained all this. I'm not there yet. It's still, you know, we're still at 30 kilometer mark for Paul. Stuck in prison. Not that I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. We're not there yet. You see the hope? But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind And straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We have resurrection power through the gift of the Spirit that gives us living hope, which is transforming. And when the going's tough, we keep going because it's worth it. Because we have the promise of eternity in our hearts. We're being transformed by God's Spirit. But, but how are we being transformed? See, Spirit power, God in me. Resurrection power as God comes into me and gives me the hope of eternity. This is all internal. But where what power is just internal? How does this... Work out. How is it real? How can we change the world through those things? Well, we actually change the world through the power of love. Jesus has had much to say about the Father's love. God so loved the world in John's Gospel. He's had a lot to say about his own love for his disciples. And he's told them, follow my example of love. He said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. But now for the the very first time in John's Gospel, he speaks of what he expects in terms of their love for him. He says, you must love me. You don't love me, though, by writing poetry about me. You don't love me by cooking me dinner every night. You don't love me by words of affirmation. You don't love me by buying me gifts. You love me through your obedience. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And this thought is repeated in verse 21 and then a little bit later on, which we'll look at next week. Whoever has com- has my commands And keeps them is the one who loves me. Do you love Jesus? You'll obey him. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. If you love Jesus, you will do what he says. And just remind me, what is it that Jesus has commanded? If you love me, you will keep my commands. What is it that Jesus has commanded? Tony usually answers these questions for us but he's up in the sound room. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you, taking the very lowest place to serve others in love, humbling yourself to serve others in love. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you obey my commands, because you are my disciples if you love one another. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And here, you know, I talk about power, spirit power, resurrection power. Here is love power. Here is really powerful stuff. The power of love to achieve the greater works that Jesus has called us to. The church is the body of Christ, spread throughout God's world, called to love as Jesus loved. Called to incite a love revolution when when the church has been healthy and whole. That is what God has done by His Spirit. He has incited a love revolution. It's the greatest practical power God's church has ever possessed. And there's lots of things that go on in Christian life, particularly in the Western world, but I'm sure all throughout the world these days, of what the church can and should be doing, strategies we could be adopting, or the way we can make our church services more entertaining, or programs we should be implementing. It's, but at it, basic, it is hard. It's simple. Obey Jesus. Love one another. Love the world love others that is our greatest power that is our greatest technique that is the tactic that those who oppose us cannot overthrow see when the spirit comes he gives us resurrection life and that is power to love as jesus loved and you know this You know how powerful it is to be loved. Is there any greater power than to be loved over you? It's the greatest power on the planet. And love by its very nature is kind of grows. It expands if it's true love. You know, how can we fit another child into our family? I remember when we had Aaron, he loved her so much. How can we do another one? Adam comes along. There's plenty of love for Adam. There's plenty of love for Kate. And if we had ten kids, I'm sure there would have been plenty of love. It would have been hard. Maybe Anna would have been struggling. But, you know, we'd have got there, wouldn't we? Because love's always able to expand. And those who are loved deeply, you know this too, those who are loved deeply are set free to love. Those who are not loved, those who are battling, find it so hard to love. We live in a society marked by this. If you encounter somebody who hasn't been loved well, who is selfish and greedy, and ungrateful and narcissistic how are you going to set them free don't be like that let me punish you the greatest way to set them free is to love them Is to love over the top of their narcissism is to love through their greed with boundaries don't stop loving. Don't stop putting their needs ahead of your own needs with love and wisdom. Everything that doesn't spring from love, there's plenty of things that don't spread from love, greed and desire for status and envy and power hunger, dump it all. It's not worth anything. What does it profit a man to be greedy? Its power fades and fails. fails. As the power of love prevails and if someone has loved you will repay their goodness and love someone else even better cannot contain love we love because he first loved us it's natural we've been so loved and his love should expand through us so that we do greater works more powerful works in this world The works of love God has called us to. We, I, can often feel so powerful and so defeated and so discouraged. How can one person change the world? How can one little church in Pennant Hills change anything? How can we give hope to the hopeless? And sometimes behind that is this sense of how can I be important? and feel a sense of significance how can I make my life count keep bumbling along being fretful and struggling and Jesus calls me Jesus calls us to greater things we're going to keep bumbling aren't we you think this little tin pot church is going to change the world The wonderful thing about God's Spirit and God's power is that it works through meekness and even weakness. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's going to be, in a sense, completely weak, completely subject to greater forces, even though he remains in total control, but he will empty himself. Love works through weakness, and that is greatness as we trust in God's majesty. Let me tell you a a, a story. September 11, 1942. We're in the South China Sea on the USS Sea Dragon. 120 feet below the surface in enemy territory, communications are gone. We're days from the nearest port, which is Fremantle in Western Australia. A 19-year-old seaman called Daryl Rector has a pain in his stomach. Actually, it's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and we do the prods and the pokes. And there's one guy on board who, well, he's in charge of the medicine cabinet. He's a pharmacist mate. That's his job on board, one of his jobs on board. His name, he's got one of these crazy American names. What's his name? Um, I haven't written it down. It's Wheeler Leaps. Wheeler Leaps, or Leips, is this guy's name. He's 22 years old. He is the pharmaceutical mate. He's actually watched a couple of appendectomies in his time. The fever on this man goes up and up and up, 106 Fahrenheit. He tells the captain, "I might be able to do this." He's probably going to die as his appendix bursts. I've seen a couple, so the ca- captain gives him the order. They get a uh, tea strainer, put a gauze over it with ether, anesthetized young Daryl. They bend spoons for to be retractors. They have a scalpel, but not an extended blade, just the little one. And Wheeler-Leip starts surgery on the dining room table. He spends 20 minutes just finding the appendix, which when he finds it, it's five inches long, it's stuck at three places to the lining of the large intestine and it's already partly gangrenous. It's serious. That appendectomy takes two and a half hours before they stitch Daryl up. And 13 days later, he's back on active duty. Now, I don't know. I don't know how long an appendectomy takes, but my guess is it usually doesn't take 20 minutes just to find the rotten appendix and then two and a half hours to finish the job. It must have been one of the worst appendectomies ever done in the history of of the world. But my guess is it's probably one of the greatest medical stories from the World War II, a war full of medicine. What makes it great is that A bumbling 22-year-old who reckons he's watched a couple of appendectomies in his time puts up his hand and said, I think I might be able to save this man's life, you never know. And it was successful. What makes us great is that we are frail and feeble and sinful and wounded. But Jesus says, I'm going to do greater works through you through a greater power, and he does these greater works through our weakness, all for his glory. If we were supermen and superwomen, wouldn't it be so great, would it? But Jesus says, by the power of my spirit, I'm going to get the glory, as I do greater works through you. There's my picture that I was supposed to. Supposed to put up the spirit is at work changing me so we can change the world, even in our weakness. As God's spirit comes, fills us with resurrection, hope, and power, and calls us to love as we have been loved. This year, our theme at this at Pano is that we walk humbly with our God. And you know, going through this part of John, you think, Well, what's that got to do with this? But can you see? As we look at what Jesus has called us to, this is a hundred percent right. We have to walk humbly with our God. Because if you've trusted in Jesus, you have God with you. Will you, by the power of His spirit, walk humbly with your God? And do greater works and be part of a movement, part of church, part of the body of Christ. Doing greater works for the salvation of others and the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. And Lord, we don't always feel the power of your spirit, but we know you've promised and we know we have the spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would work mightily, that your spirit might lead us into righteousness. Give us courage for those good works that you set before us and give us courage to love when our hearts would say no. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.